You're listening to a podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at that in just a few moments. But I can pretty much, by putting this person's picture on the screen, I am sure that most of us would be able to recognize this person. And uh, let's put that picture up. There we go. Who is that guy? Billy Graham, that's right. People know Billy Graham. And, um, I, and, and the worldwide impact that this man has had has been tremendous. Last fall, I sat in Chicago while I was at the training center. I went over to my uncle's house who um, invited me and, and some other guys over to his place. And we ate pizza and drank Coke and watched My Hope America, the latest Billy Graham crusade that they put on. And I went on the website this week, and they're getting ready for another one of these crusades and and through a a television campaign. And as they showed this, and it went across all the houses in the United States and even up here into Canada, there were flashbacks to the young, energetic Billy Graham just pounding out the gospel in front of hundreds and thousands of people. And then they brought it back into the present, this older, frail man who is still on fire for the gospel. And as I was sitting there in this living room watching on a nice big TV screen, I couldn't help but get teary-eyed as I watched this man who just loved Jesus Christ so much and was willing to just share the gospel throughout his life. And also the other thing that impacted me was just how simple the gospel is. And how oftentimes we have confused it or we've complicated it. And I sat there and I thought, he's made it so simple. I remember as a kid watching Billy Graham specials on our, on our black and white TV. You know, the ones with the dial that you'd have to get up and actually have to change because we didn't have remote controls. I know that ages me, but we also were slow to get technology in our house. But we would sit and we would watch these, these great crusades. And, and I was always amazed that when they would give the call, he would present the gospel and he would just share it with passion. And, and, and afterwards he would say, and if you want to receive Christ, come forward. And people would just come by the hundreds, by the thousands to say, I want to follow Jesus Christ. It's amazing. As you go and you do a little study and research and... Um, Over 2.2 billion people have been reached through the radio and television ministry of Billy Graham throughout his life and his ministry. 2.2 billion people. Think about that. And over 3.2 million people have indicated that they have prayed to receive Christ as a result of the crusades and different um, endeavors of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. It was such a thrill for Charlotte and I about 20 years ago now, uh, when we were in Saskatoon, I was a youth, young adult pastor there, we were just nicely married, and we got to participate in the very first Billy and Franklin Graham crusade. It was kind of the passing of the baton, in a sense, as as Billy was kind of starting to wind down, and and Franklin Graham, his son, was coming alongside. I still have, I was going to bring it today, but I chose not to because it would have just been a little bit of extra work. And, um, but I have this four, four by eight poster board that promoted that crusade. I, I didn't steal it. It was at our church. And afterwards, I, I, I asked if I could have it. It still sits in my garage. It is a, it is a reminder of, of just the thrill it was for me to be a part of that and to be a part of even history as they kind of pass the baton on. 
We were very involved in that crusade, and once again, we saw people pray to receive Christ. The interesting thing is, as we were a part of that crusade, there was a lady who had lived in Saskatoon, grew up there, went to high school, moved off to Calgary, and came back for that crusade, stayed with her parents because she was burdened for one of her high school friends. This person, this high school friend of hers, that they were really, they, they were great friends throughout high school, did not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this lady, she, she went to Calgary, this, uh, came from Calgary to Saskatoon, specifically to invite this girl by the name of Sue to come to the Billy Graham crusade. And Sue went along with her to the Billy Graham crusade. Bill, um, at the end of that, one of those evenings, my sister-in-law, oh, I, I gave it away. Sue prayed to receive Christ, and her life was transformed. It was a number of months later that my, as we said back then, my desperately single brother-in-law was set up uh, on a blind date with this new believer in Christ. And we fell in love with Sue right from the start and has been an amazing addition to our family. All, of be, all because of the faithfulness of a man who is willing to, to preach the gospel, of people who are willing to work towards seeing that happen. Uh, someone from Calgary drives to Saskatoon specifically in some ugly weather to be there that weekend so that her friend could have an opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ. And the thing that happens, folks, we talked about this last week, that when God's word is spoken, life happens. Creation happens. We see that in Genesis 1. God spoke and the earth was created. None of this new kind of form of creation that the Pope was talking about this week. God spoke, creation happened. And that continues to happen over and over and over again that when God's word is spoken, life happens. Spiritual life. Lives are transformed. And the thing that about Billy Graham and the thing about the best presentation of the gospel is that it is to be simple, it is to be clear, and with a sense of urgency. Nothing fancy about his messages except giving the word of God and calling people in with passion under the Holy Spirit power to humble their hearts, to, to repent, and to receive Jesus Christ. And today we are going to look at the very first Christian sermon that was preached. Really the first crusade sermon, if you want to call it, if you want to put it in Billy Graham's terms. And we see this in Acts chapter 2. And what we are going to see here is an incredible impact that this message had as the gospel went forth. And in Peter's sermon, there was one theme. Two words. Write it down. I'd encourage you to write this down on that connection card there on the sermon note part. Because here is the one theme. And he talks about this Jesus. This guy by the name of Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. This Jesus, you need to know about him. This Jesus can change your life. And this is what Peter spoke. And folks, this Jesus can change our lives today. I don't care if you have been a believer for years, decades, months, or not a believer yet, this Jesus can change and transform our lives today as he desires to continue to keep changing and transforming us more and more into his image. And we see in verse 14 of Acts chapter 2, and you can follow along in your Bibles, Peter stands up with great boldness. Remember the guy who was a, just weeks earlier was a little afraid, was timid, kind of, you know, I mean, just, just was not willing to stand up for Jesus. Now he's standing up in boldness under the power of the Holy Spirit, and in a loud voice he addresses thousands of people. 
Now remember, this large crowd had gathered in Jerusalem because of the Feast of Pentecost that was taking place. And, and there was also a big crowd that gathered because last week, as we talked about, the 120 who were in the upper room were all filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They all started speaking in tongues or in other languages. And all of the people that had gathered in Jerusalem from at least 16 different countries could hear the mighty words, the mighty deeds of God spoken in their own language. And they were like blown away by this. And they're like, what's going on? And so people were amazed. They were perplexed. Some of them mocked them out and said, they're drunk. And so Peter, in, in verse 14, he says, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. People would have laughed at this. This was kind of Peter being a little bit funny here because this was 9 o'clock in the morning and people, he says, they're not drunk yet. That might happen later on, but they're not drunk yet. In fact, for the Jewish people, and especially on a festival um, time of celebration like this, they never ate or drank until after the morning prayer time. That's why the crowd was gathering. They were coming together for the morning crowd. They hear this noise. They hear the mighty words of God spoken in their own language, and they're like, what's going on? So Peter's like, I'm taking advantage of this, and I'm going to just lay it out. I'm going to tell them about this Jesus. So Peter stands up and he preaches the first Christian sermon and presents the gospel and he says, this Jesus, and he's basically saying, this is why you need to believe in him. And the first reason why you need to believe in this Jesus is because of fulfilled prophecy. Because he is the fulfillment of the prophecy in the Old Testament. And these people, all of a sudden this would have grabbed their attention. You see in verse 16 to 18 that as he's telling them, these aren't a bunch of crazy drunk people, but this is the fulfillment. Folks, wake up. This is the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel spoke about 600 years ago. And this would have been the reaction when he would have said that. It would have been, oh. Or it might have been, oh. There would have been that kind of a reaction, like, whoa, okay. Some of them would have gotten it, and some were like, tell me more. I need to know more about this. And so in verse 16, it says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So 600 years earlier, this is what Joel is saying. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And that's what these people were doing 600 years earlier. And these people, devout Jews, would have heard this and thought, ah, oh, this makes sense. We, they would have known about the book of Joel. They would have known about these prophecies. They were waiting for this. And all of a sudden, they're like, all of a sudden, oh, I see, I get it. And so they are seeing right before their eyes Bible prophecy happen. This has been promised. That had been promised 600 years earlier. And it's happening right in front of them now. And now when it says that my spirit being poured out on all flesh, you have to understand, this isn't all flesh without exception. It doesn't mean everyone gets it, but what it means is all flesh without distinction. And in verse 21, it goes on to say, for it's for all who call upon the name of the Lord. Those who call out to Jesus. That's who this is for. 
Remember last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit only came upon people in the Old Testament up until this point to, for certain people, for certain time, for certain certain job or, or, or something that God had for them to do. And so the Holy Spirit would empower them and they would do what they were supposed to do. And then even at times the Holy Spirit would depart. But now it's changing. This is a game changer. Because the Holy Spirit is available for all people. And, and, and that list goes on. It's for all people, all nations, men, women, boy, girl, slave, free, Jew, Gentile. It's for all people. It's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the presence of God within the individual. In, between, in, in your life, in my life. And Joel prophesied this would happen. These people were longing. They were waiting for this. And so this is getting their attention. This Jesus was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Now get this though. This is really cool. And I would love for you folks to do some homework this week. Okay, you go to church, you'd have to do homework. Yeah, suck it up. Do some homework because this is going to blow your mind, okay? And, 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 and get in there and, and you got to see this. The Word of God contains approximately 2,500 prophecies, Okay. Right from the start, it would tell various things. 500 of those prophecies were about Jesus. Different aspects about Jesus' life, about his birth, all foretold in the Bible. 700 years before this date, Micah, in Micah chapter 5, verse 20, you can write that down, Micah 5, 20, do some homework on that. That's not the big homework part that I'm going to get you to do, but, but, um, but, but, but it, it's coming. In Micah 5, 20, it says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. 700 years later, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem, just like Micah had said. Every prophecy happened exactly like it, would say, like it said it would happen. And at times, on the exact date. Zechariah 11 declared that the Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That happened five centuries, the 5th century B.C. 400 years before the crucifixion was even used as a form of capital punishment, there are two places. It is David and Zechariah depict how the Savior would die. They already prophesied, before they even started hanging people on trees, they prophesied that the Messiah would be crucified. 500 prophecies about Jesus, 500 of them fulfilled in around the area of 500. And it's give or take some. I haven't quite done all of the work on that area. Some of you may want to do that this week. Here is... um, Prophecy after prophecy has happened, and as he's given it to these people, he is reminding them that Jesus has fulfilled, is the fulfillment of prophecy. And, and um, the thing that I would love for you to check out and to, to do some homework on is, is a website, actually. It's called reasons.org, reasons.org, and when you click on that, then do a search on fulfilled prophecies. So write down reasons.org, here's your homework, and just spend some time exploring the prophecies that were made in the Old Testament, the one specifically in here to Jesus, and see how he was the fulfillment of these prophecies. Every prophecy happened just as it said. Now, some people might say, oh, but you know what, I mean... They, they just went and they knew these prophecies, so they made these things happen, or they went and they wrote these scriptures and they kind of changed things up just to kind of make it look like they were fulfilled. 
No, you know what destroyed that argument was the Dead Sea Scrolls when they discovered them and found that everything that God's word was not changed and that these fulfilled prophecies took place just as God's word says. So we see fulfillment of prophecy. The second thing that we see why Peter said you need to trust in this Jesus and the second thing why we need to trust in this Jesus is because of the miracles that were performed. Miracles that were performed proving his divinity we can just get that up there so people can, can follow along. The miracles that were performed proved the divinity of Jesus Christ. Men of Israel, he said in verse 22, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in, the midst, um, in your midst as you yourselves know. So Peter now takes and he reminds them, and he tells them, remember the miracles that Jesus performed, how he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cast out demons, the, he, he calmed the storm, he fed the 5,000. You've heard the stories. Some of you were even witnesses to these stories. Jesus Christ, his divinity, his power, his supernatural power, showing that he has the power of God, that he is the Son of God, was performed, and you got to see that. The third reason why you need to trust in this Jesus is... Thirdly, because Jesus was crucified for us and because of us. In verse 23 and 36, we see this. Then Jesus delivered up to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, it says in verse 23. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This is where Peter unloads on this crowd. I mean, he, he really gives it here. He says, you crucified Jesus. You put him on the cross. It was you people who did this. This was no seeker-sensitive sermon here that Peter was given. He just lays it on them. He says, you crucified Jesus. You put him on the cross. You know what? Sometimes the truth can hurt. But it's how we deliver the truth is so important. If our words just cut, then we are not speaking the truth that well. But in the, at this point, Peter's going to get to the other part in a moment. But here he is cutting, and God's Word does that. God's Word at times cuts us, and it, it causes us to take a look and examine our heart, and it convicts us so that we can be healed, so we can find freedom. Now, Peter's saying to these people, you crucified Jesus, you crucified him. And some of them said, what, what are you talking about? I wasn't even there. How are you saying that? I, uh, you know what? I, I never crucified him. I mean, I wasn't even in Jerusalem when he was crucified. I was out visiting my Aunt Ethel on her, you know, at, on, her, on her farm. We weren't even there for this time. And, you know, and, and then maybe some of them were like, well, are there some of the Roman soldiers? I bet you some of those guys are here. Maybe that's who he's talking about. Is he talking about those guys or is he talking about those religious leaders? Because those are the ones that really, I mean, pulled a nasty one on him. Maybe, you know what, maybe they're in here. Maybe that's who he's looking at. And he says, no, you killed him. You're the one that crucified Jesus. You played a part in, that, in his death. I mean, that was quite a statement that he made. You know, in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson was the director of that movie, and he wanted to not have a significant role in that, but he wanted to play one part in the movie. And this is the part that he played. Put this picture up. He wanted it to be his hand holding the nail. 
He wanted it to be his hand driving that nail into the hands of Jesus because even a guy like Mel Gibson understood that it was his sin that put Jesus on the cross. Gibson, as well as you and I, need to understand that we all played our part in the role of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Romans 3.23 is a cutting statement. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you do a Greek study on that word all, you know what it means? All. Really in-depth, deep Greek study there. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin in Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is what? It's death. Because we've all sinned, what we deserve, the wages for that, is death. Separation from God. Life apart from Him. Jesus died for us and because of us. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. And this is the amazing thing, folks, about God's word. It cuts, as Peter was kind of cutting here, wasn't he? And as I I read about how we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, but it doesn't end there. Look at Romans 3.24. Romans 3.24 says, for all have sinned, 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but verse 24 goes on to say, and all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because his divine, for, because his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Romans 3.23 says... The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And here's the thing about God's word, about Holy Spirit-empowered biblical preaching. It tells us the truth about ourselves. It tells us about our condition. It tells us about our eternal destiny apart from God. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end in doom and gloom. It may be Good Friday, but we know that Easter Sunday is coming. We know there's death, there's wrath, there's judgment, but there is forgiveness, there is grace that is available. This Jesus died and suffered in our place. He paid the penalty for our sins and our failures with his own life. And Peter unloads to these people. He says, you crucified Jesus. But this brings us to the fourth reason, and that is this Jesus was resurrected in victory. He didn't stay dead. Verse 24 says, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter then goes on in, 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 from verses 25 to 31. He quotes how David prophesied this. Hundreds of years earlier, from Psalm 16, he prophesied about the resurrection, that there's no way that the Messiah would stay dead, that he would be set free from the the pains of death. And then in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and he says, you are all witnesses of this. Now remember that when Jesus, after he was resurrected from the dead, he appeared to approximately 500 people, 
at given times over the next 40 days. And so as he's preaching, he says, you crucified, you killed him, but he was raised to life. He was raised in victory. Death has no no power over us. Sin was paid for. Our sin, the wages of our sin had been paid for through Jesus Christ. And he goes on to, to, to remind them that the victory has happened, that God raised him up. Fulfillment of prophecy, perform miracles proving his divinity, crucified because of the crowd that was there. And because of your sin and my sin, he died for us and because of us. He's resurrected in victory. And you go, that's the gospel. There it is. It's so simple. This is what this Jesus did. But wait a minute. We're not done. This is an incomplete gospel. This is the good news. But we must receive it. We must receive this good news personally, individually. Do you hear that statement? God doesn't have any grandchildren. Just has sons and daughters. And it's up to us to receive it. But, but here's the fifth part that makes all of this possible is that this Jesus was exalted. He ascended up into heaven. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He goes up into heaven but he was exalted so you and I could be empowered. Because his going up to heaven and being seated on the right hand of the throne of God, he even told them in John 14, he says, I must go so that my spirit may come and indwell you. You're not going to just believe these things. You're going to have a, a witness with you. You're going to have the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ living and dwelling within you. That's where the power comes from. That's where the strength comes from. That's where our reliance is to be. In verse 33, it says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing today. He says, you see it? You've seen this all. He's given a good explanation of the gospel. And what is the result? What is the result of all of this? I'd encourage you to write down these things. I'm not helping you with, with the next number of points about what the results are of his message were about the results of the gospel but it's in verses 37 to 41 we're going to look at it but I'd encourage you to write down a number of things the first thing you might want to write down is in verse 37 when these people heard this they heard about Jesus like he was the Messiah he had the miracles he performed the miracles his death was in our place he rose victorious Now we're seeing the Holy Spirit on these 120. And now their response to it is they were cut to the heart. It was like they were stabbed. They were stunned. They were, (gasps) wow. They were stunned by this news. Jesus, Messiah, died in my place because of me, for my sin. What do we do? What do we do? They asked Peter. You see, folks, to not respond to the gospel is a dangerous step towards hardening your heart away from the gospel, which can lead a person to a very dangerous, dangerous place in judgment before God one day. 
Whether this is the first time you've heard the gospel or it's the hundredth or the thousandth time, it demands a response. That when we hear these claims about Jesus Christ, there should be something that's going on in us, either intrigued to know more or thanksgiving for what has already happened in our lives. There's got to be a response to it. When we sing these songs that we talk about, I stand amazed in the presence The part that gets me every time in that song is he suffered and died alone. He suffered and died alone so that I don't have to suffer alone. Because his spirit now is available to me, to minister to me. He died in our place. When we hear the gospel, when we sing the gospel, it demands a response. To not respond is to harden your heart. And Hebrews 6 says, and this is a dangerous passage in Hebrews 6 where it goes on to say that the ongoing rebelling of a heart towards God is very, very, puts you in a very dangerous place. These truths demand a response. I told you a few weeks ago about my atheist friend who lived here in Kelowna for a little while, moved back to Edmonton. I've been so burdened about him in the last number of weeks. We've driven past his place. I think of him. I, I pray for him. And his heart is just so hard. I searched, did a Google search, found him. He wrote some scathing <laughs> uh, blog on some, someone's post. I got his email address, sent him an email just the other day. So sad to hear of a heart that just gets harder and harder and more bitter towards God and more, I mean, some of the shots that he shot towards me, I mean, it was, it's true about Christians at times. <laughs> um, he's got a point, and it's sad that, that we sometimes carry that reputation that often leads to criticism, but it is so hard to hear of a guy whose heart is just getting harder and harder, and he's, he's old, and his body is breaking down and he doesn't have much time left. And we were talking about his family even yesterday and said, what, what? so what does he believe? He just believes he's going to be plant food. That it's over and it's not. There can be so much more for him rather than the eternal separation away from God forever in a place called hell. What do we do? The gospel demands a response and this is what the people say in the last part of verse 37. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is not, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Everyone from whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them and said, save yourselves from this, this crooked generation. So what does he call them to do? If you want to put it under the result part, that they were cut to the heart, but then what do they do? He calls them, he says, repent. Repent. Not necessarily a popular word today in our churches. It's more than just saying, sorry. Whoops, sorry. It's more than just a sentence. I'm sorry for doing this. I won't do it again. But not really wanting to change. To repent means to change your mind, to change your thinking, to, to change your actions, a change of purpose and a thinking, to stop singing, sin, sinning and pursue holiness. It, it, it's like the guy who, who commits adultery and, and, and goes and he confesses to, it to his wife and says, I'm sorry that I committed adultery. And then he goes out and does it again. 
He's not sorry. There's no repentance there. He's just sorry he got caught or felt a little guilt, but he didn't go back to it. Repentance means you stop doing it. You get help. And that's what the body of Christ is for. It's for us to walk with one another, to encourage one another. That's why our crazy phones can be the worst thing and the best thing, because we can encourage one another. We can give words of, of, of reminder of, of who God is. I have a guy in Ontario, probably every second day, there's, there's text messages going back and forth of just trying to encourage him as he walks through some of the junk in his life. This morning, he sent a text to me and says, Melvin, give it to them. Give it to them. Preach the word. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm doing it. And we need brothers and sisters in Christ standing with us, walking with us. That's what the church is for. Not to just show up for an hour and, oh, it's going over a little overtime this week, you know, and and, and just go out and live our lives however we want to the rest of the week. The gospel demands a response. It, it, It causes us to repent. Next he says, no, I need to just say a little bit more here about this repentance part. Some will just say, we don't need to repent. We just need to believe. Not quite. Peter says, repent. Just don't believe on Jesus. Yeah, but John 3.16, John 3.16 doesn't say repent. Yeah, but you know what? That word in John 3.16 where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. It just says believe there. You know what that word believe really means? To, to lean on, to entrust your life to, to give yourself to. It doesn't mean just this nice little flip. Yeah, I believe. I've watched some of these televangelist guys, not Billy Graham, I've watched others from some, some uh, flakier stuff at, at times just say to a celebrity, oh, do you believe in Jesus? And they go, yes, I do. And they're like, woohoo, they're in. So come share your testimony here in our church or you know what, and, and give some money. And, you know, um, you know and, 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 and it's just this belief. No, it's about believing. It is about repenting. It is about a changed life. And, and it gets demonstrated. Peter says, get baptized. He says, repent. He says, and be baptized. This is a public confession of one's private faith and commitment to Jesus Christ. Not a private baptism. It's to be public. A declaration. This was a big deal for the Jewish people, for the people hearing this. And as they responded to it and they did it and were baptized, they were risking not just their own self-image and getting their hair wet or clothes wet or whatever it might be, but declaring themselves as followers of Jesus Christ could cause some of them to be outcast, to lose their jobs. Get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, which means accepting his authority, acknowledging his claim, saying, I'm in. I'm in as a follower of Christ. It's an identification with Christ. You see, in the New Testament, there's no such thing as an unbaptized believer. It was just, I mean, you get saved, you're baptized. It, it, it just, just happened that way. Have you been baptized upon confession of your faith in Jesus Christ? What did these people receive as a result of their repentance and their belief in Jesus Christ? They received forgiveness of their sin and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 40, it says, Peter continued to preach and he warned them about this generation. He says, it's going to try to suck you back. You're going to get sucked back into religion. You're going to get sucked back into these Jewish cultures. You're going to get sucked back into these different things. And you're going to get your eyes off of Jesus. And he warns them and he's given it to them. And it says in verse 41, And so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day 3,000 souls. God's word went out with power. People said, yes, I'm in. 
and their lives were in the midst of transformation. And the gospel started to spread. The gospel demands a response. It demands a response today, whether it's the first time you've heard it, the hundredth time, the thousandth time, however it might be. See, there's a great big problem is we can receive Jesus. We pray the prayer, we walk the aisle, we, we, we do whatever it might be. We may go forward to the Billy Graham crusade or whatever it might be, and, and we start walking this new life and, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and there's victory and, and there's some joy and it's going good, but then we start to settle down. And we kind of hit the cruise control, but the cruise control we don't even realize isn't even going anymore. It's actually kind of just going like this. And it, it, it continues to just slow down, slow down. And, and we settle because we get, you know what, culture. And, and, and there's just so many. Here's the common cycle. Salvation, a settling, and that settling starts leading to a self-centeredness. That, you know what, it's got to be on my terms. Yeah, I love what Jesus did, but, but how I'm going to live this out and how I'm going to follow him and serve him, it's going to be on my terms. And it's going to be if, I, if it kind of fits. This is what Peter was saying. But watch out for this crooked generation. Be careful. What can end up happening as well is we're saved and, and God does this work in our life, but we start settling in that faith and we become proud. And, and we start reading the Bible and we know the Bible and we may even go through a big long prayer list every day and, and we start looking down. It's like we get up on a chair almost and we're looking down on other people, you know, with our noses so they can see up our nostrils. And we kind of look down at those who struggle and, you know, and, and just like, oh, well, you know, they, thank you, Lord, that, I, you know, I'm just not like them. It's so easy, easy, easy for the Pharisee to take over in our lives and for us to go through the religious motions and not be transformed by the gospel. That's why when we sing these songs, when we hear the gospel, there's, even today I believe there, there needs to be that ripping in our heart and saying, Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is about authentic Christianity, not just once a week, let's go through the motions checklist and let's go out and live our lives however we want. There is devotion. You see this in verse 42 to verse 47. We're not going to read it right now. We, we talked about that on launch Sunday because we talked about what this new community looked like. It formed, I mean, they didn't even have to be told these things. It just happened. People who love the gospel, who are on fire, who, who understand what Jesus Christ has done and the claims that are upon their lives and, and, and that he saved them, and, and automatically... They were devoted. We don't see Peter saying, okay, so now you start reading your Bible, pray every day, you'll grow, grow, grow. Remember that song as a kid maybe growing up? Read your Bible, pray every day. No, I mean, it just happened naturally. It says they were devoted to God's word. Remember, they devoured God's word. There was a hunger for God's word. They were devoted to one another, to the body of Christ. There was a need, they jumped in, they helped. They were devoted. They saw something going on and they could assist in that way. They were there to help. I remember one of the announcements I was supposed to give. It's funny how the timing comes on that. Um, there's a need in our body, our, our young new body of Christ, and that is areas of setup, areas of worship, areas of working with our children, working. 
Is there a devotee? And that's why it's important to attend party with the pastor. It's important to look on our website and say, okay, is this a church that, that I can, I mean, that, that I, I love? This is, I love their, their vision. I love their, their outlook and what their goals are and how this has all been pieced together. I love these four pillars. If this is something that excites you, folks, join in. We'd love to have you be part of, of, of things, to, to, to be devoted, to devour that. Getting here at 7 o'clock in the morning, it was a little frosty this morning. Um, for, for some, there was um, the windshield wiper stuff had to be used in vehicles, or some actually scraped. I don't know who would do that. Just use the windshield wiper fluid. Works just well at this, these temperatures. And, and, and yet there's, there's an excitement that we get to transform a building like this into a place where we can worship Jesus, where the word of God can be proclaimed. But the exciting thing is that in the years to come, I trust the Lord, I believe, I, I pray that we're going to be commissioning some other churches to be planted here in British Columbia, maybe even in the Okanagan Valley, that, that we're going to be part of this church planting in the way that we've been entrusted and gifted and prayed over and loved and encouraged and supported, that we're going to keep doing it because we're devouring God's word. And we're excited about the mission and the conviction and the core values of what Harvest Bible stands for. And, and, and it's not a harvest pitch, this is a Jesus pitch, this is... We're in love with this word. And this is what we're passionate about. And if we're devoted to it, we're going to be part of it. And so they devoted themselves to the word of God, to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to worship and to prayer. Another thing they were devoted to is something we're going to do in the next few moments. And that is, they were devoted to the Lord's Supper, to the breaking of bread. Because remember Jesus, he said to his disciples on the night he was betrayed, as he took bread and he says, as he held the bread in his hand, he says, this is a symbol, a reminder of my broken body. I want you to eat it, to remember that my body was broken for you. Then he passed the cup full of wine to his disciples and says, here, drink of this and remember my shed blood that was shed for you. There's power in his blood. And, and you're going to need it. And so today we're going to hold, in a sense, a reminder of the gospel in our hands. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to be a member of this church. We don't even have any yet. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is for you. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you're saying, I want this. I need Jesus. As we were saying, I need him. I need his power, his strength in my life. You can receive him today. By just turning away from your sins, saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me for the sins that I've committed. I desire to, to live in the way that you would want and live according to your word. You might not even know what that all means, but that's the step of faith that we take. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Fill me with your spirit, with your power. You're living out the New Testament truth of what happened to these people. And we'll get you baptized. We'll get that figured out. We see Peter calling these people to be careful of this generation. And today, especially in North America and the Canadian church, we've come to accept comfort and convenience. We're devoted to the things that we think count, whether that be our bank accounts or our image or our bodies or our jobs. The... Um, Devoted to our kids' sports, 
We're devoted to so many different things, but in the end, like God's Word says, wood, hay, and stubble, they're all going to be burned. We want to be about what is everlasting. I'm not saying those things are bad, but we need to have it in a balance about being devoted to the things that God's Word calls us to be devoted to. And so I, before we go into communion, I would just ask you, what's your heart's response to the gospel today? Have you ever truly responded to the claims of Christ as I've laid out? You can do that today. Or maybe you've been in church for many years. You haven't been in this church for many years, but maybe you've been here for five weeks. Maybe this is your first week. Just because you've been in church, though, in a church, and even said a prayer and was baptized, where's your heart today? You can have an emotional response to the gospel, a religious response to the gospel, a guilt response, but what about an authentic response to the gospel that we talked about here today? And a response to the gospel of thanksgiving and thankfulness and and repentance, ongoing repentance, because as that old hymn goes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We get our eyes on other things, and it's about repenting and coming back to the Lord, just, just forgive me, and I just want to walk the path that you want. That's where the body of Christ, that's this small groups get going in our church, that iron sharpens iron, we walk with each other. Jesus was the real deal. Fulfillment of prophecy, Miracles proving his divinity, crucified, crucified because of us and for us, absorbing the wrath of God upon himself, so that when a holy God looks upon you and I, he sees Jesus. Rose victorious from the grave, and today exalted in heaven, praying and pleading on our behalf today to God the Father filling us with his spirit so we can be empowered by him each day of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this precious gospel that Peter shared, and we're just so thankful that it produced an incredible response there on that day for these people who had never heard this before. And Lord, I pray that for each one of us, even today, even now, that the gospel would produce a response in us. Whether it be for the first time in saying yes to following you, Jesus, or whether it is a response over and over again of gratitude and thanksgiving and just recommitting ourselves to serve you, to follow you, to live for you, to go deep, to be under the waterfall of your grace at the foot of the cross, repenting, confessing kind of people that just understand that you are powerful and we are weak and we run to you for shelter. We run to you for strength. And you've given us the body of Christ to to encourage and to support one another. And Lord, you want to do a great thing in each life here, in each family. I pray we would not get lured by the culture that is out there, that we would get lured by the lies that are being taught that, that take us away from the authentic gospel. And may we authentically respond to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper's reminder of what you have done for us. May you meet us here in a special way as we pour our hearts out to you.